Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Hispanard. Well, it is that time again. We are diving into episode five of The Rings of Power. I go so that you don't have to, is the way that I see it. I uh, continue to dislike this show, and there are many, many, many reasons for it. Uh, I will say, I think I said last time, and I will repeat it again, that aesthetically, the backgrounds are fantastic. They did a really great job and spent a lot of money on the backgrounds. So when it comes to finding images online of the Rings of Power that you want to use to incorporate in your own fantasy creations, if you're an artist, if you want to, or, you know, whether you're a, a, a traditional artist or you're like a web designer or you're, you know, you're, or you're into design or something like that. This show has a lot of really great eye candy uh, with the way that they do the lighting to the vistas and fantastic. So in that regard, you know, it, it it is giving something back to the community in a sense because it's certainly not giving story back. Uh, the story continues to be awful and meandering and nonsensical. So let's get into it. <clears throat> the fifth episode starts back with what will we will eventually come in, uh, to know and love as hobbits yet at this point they don't have that name they do have something similar where they're you know harfoots or whatever and i think that's even just a particular type of hobbit uh you know tribe among amongst the the bigger tribe that is going through a migration you see the uh the little hobbit girl nori that has befriended I don't know if this is Sauron or Gandalf or one of the wizards that we never got to meet because I think at this point, canonically, I don't know if I'm saying that right, in the movies, we met three of the five wizards that make their way to Middle-earth and this might be one of the other two wizards that we've never met. Or it might actually be, like I said, Sauron. I, the more and more that I look at this guy, I, I f I'm, I'm finding it very difficult to believe that this is going to be the, the representation of Gandalf. A actually, the actor that they chose to play this character, that is the, this this giant that is running around with the um, hobbits, it, he looks more like Christopher. Um, what is his name? Christopher Lee, who played Sauron in the original Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson movies. That's who this fella, that's the vibe that I'm getting. And um, so that's who I would guess it is. You know, once they, they do the big reveal, dum, dum, dum. At this point, the way that they're playing it out, and I don't think it's, it's done 
I mean, obviously, I don't think anything on the show is done well or elegantly, but what they're trying to push the viewer towards, and this is the thing that actually that I found kind of fascinatingly weird. If you're a hardcore or mildly hardcore Lord of the Rings fan, Tolkien fan, you've seen the movies, you've seen both, you know, uh, the, the two different stories that you've seen The Hobbit you know, which was a, a three-parter, and then you've seen uh, the Lord of the Rings, the original one. So you're familiar with, with Saruman. Uh, Sar- you know, you're familiar with the characters, basically, at this point. Um, so if this character turns out to be, you know, one of those people, then everything that they're doing with the character, the mystery of him falling from the sky, the mystery of him landing in what looks like the eye of Saruman, all of that is wiped away because you get to this point in the story where you go, aha, that's not Saruman. And you know, Saruman, at least if we're going, you know, canon, the books did not start out as a betrayer and did not start out as evil. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about, you know, when when we finally see him, I think in the second Lord of the Rings movie, you know, by that time he betrays, is it the second one or is it, I think it's the second one where you we see the betrayal of Gandalf, we see Saruman betray everything, you know, and everybody, actually we see, I think we see that in the first movie, never mind, uh, you know, scratch that because that's when the... Uh, the Urukai orcs get introduced in the first movie. They're the ones that start chasing after the crew and ultimately end up killing Boromir. So uh, while he's protecting Frodo, so you see Saruman's betrayal in the first movie, but f- before that, you know the the thing that leads Saruman up to the temptation of betrayal. Uh, you know you don't. That's not going to happen for many, 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 many hundreds of years. So if this, in fact, ends up turning out to be Sauron, there's no reason to put him in a foreshadowing scene of Sauron, you know, Sauron's eye, and that somehow that connects to where Saruman is going to go. It's, it's not clever. I, either if you're brand new to the show and you're just coming into it and you've never seen the other ones, that won't make any sense to you. If you're an old timer like me that is in love with the books and the movies, that I don't appreciate it. It's just not, it's not a clever, uh huh, here's a nod to, to some far flung future uh, event that will, you know, result in his true colors. Like it, it's a, uh, it's a weird misdirect currently. And that misdirect for, for those of us that are fans and are familiar with the work, it falls even flatter because we don't need the misdirect. So if at some point by the end of this of season one, you get to a point where, you know, they go, ha ha, it's Sauron. I don't need that foreshadowing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, you would have been way better off giving me the opposite, giving me this sweet, kind, gentle person that is not, um, egotistical and narcissistic and acts brazenly like he's above everyone else. If you, if you'd started Saruman out as this gentle 
being that is, uh, you know, his entire conviction is all towards good and all towards service. And then at some point you start to see the rotten decay that ends up infesting his soul. I would appreciate that more. But right now at this point, the way you're, you know, the way that Amazon is playing it is, hey man, he could be evil from the start. He could be connected to Sauron in such a way that, um, you know, we want to let you know right now ahead of time. And this is where he's going to be going towards. This is where, this is where his future is headed, but we already know that. And for anybody that is just coming in now, they'll never know that they won't understand that for, for a long time until they get to either the books or they get to the movies. You know, if if at some point, Somehow this gets them to go back to those properties and see that, and then they can make the connection there. I don't know. It's just so, uh, what a bad, you know, storytelling decision to make in my opinion. But at this point, the, uh, the hobbits are, or, or that, that one hobbit is teaching whoever this guy is, the, the giant that's traveling with them. Cause every, for, for no reason at all that I can see. Nothing, there's nothing that is explained in a cohesive way that would help me to understand why these hobbits make this perilous journey every single year. They go to one spot and they chill there and then something happens in that environment weather-wise and then they move over to this other spot, you know, for, for food and safety, but in between the movement, there's a ton of dangerous things. Like why do they keep moving back and forth? Why don't they just find a location like the dwarves have or the elves have or man and farm and stay there and, you know, do the thing that we will eventually know them for. At this point, these hobbits make zero sense in their, uh, in their actions and their choices for life. In fact, the entire thing for episode five seems like an excuse by Amazon to show you more beautiful backgrounds and sites that they've created. I'm imagining from whole cloth, maybe some of it is actually real world terrain. And a lot of it is just green screen. And they're kind of going like, Hey, look at how much money we spent on the screen screen. Please enjoy, you know, this, uh, this song about travel, Uh, along with this map that shows you where they're going to and then little bits and pieces of as they're traveling. None of it makes any sense. Not in any kind of real like storytelling way. So we see, like I said, that Hobbit teaching the giant English and he's now identifying things and, you know, they're, they're doing like a homeschooling system for him. It switches over to these three figures that are very ambiguous in as to what they are. Like at one point I was looking at them, I'm like, they're women. And then at another point I'm like, oh, they're men. And then I was like, uh, I don't really know what they are. I don't know if they're women or men. I think they're elves, but I'm not really sure. They look kind of mean. They're dressed like druids, you know, all in white. They've got weird staves and they get over to the spot or they appear at the spot that uh, whoever that is, whether it's Saruman or or Gandalf or whoever it is that fell from the sky and is now being homeschooled by the hobbits. 
they land at, at his fall location because he, he fell from the sky. And then the guy, girl, person, elf in white all looks really slowly, a little bit too slowly. Like they could have picked it up a little more and looks really angry at, at its companions, which are sitting or they're standing up above a rock over the hole that represents where, you know, the guy fell. Don't really know what that means at this point. It was a, uh, a strange insert into the moment, but whatever. So then from there, it jumps over to, uh, Brazilian elves, honey, Brownwyn, I believe her name is. They're at the tower in a land called the Southlands, which is the tower that the elves used to oversee these people that betrayed, I guess, all of the races of Middle Earth over a thousand years ago when they sided with Mor Morgoth. So now everybody's chilling there. And she is giving a speech saying, hey, stick with me. We'll fight. And she's like, you know, let's turn this tower from you know, uh, a representation of our frailty to a symbol of our strength. But then there's a mutiny with the weird butcher guy that all of a sudden is wearing, I believe that it's called a Torg. He's wearing this thing around his neck that is, uh, a, a, of a Celtic nature. He does a rebellion. I guess he gets half of the people to leave with him. He's like, nah, we don't have any chance at all. We need to side with the enemy. And Brazilian Elf just stands there and watches the whole thing play out of these two people going back and forth. One trying to decide everybody that they're stronger together if they stay together. The Butcher going, no, we're better if we all leave and go join up with this group that is coming anyway. Uh, led by uh, Cheese Grater Face Elf. And he does. He gets half the people to go with him. And now everybody's all depressed and bummed out as they leave. So then from there, we jump over to Numnor and Isildur is trying to figure out how to make his way onto the boats that are going to come over. I mean, it's, it's like a survey surveying mission, basically that the queen, uh, allows to happen. And she's also joining part in is that they're going to come down. They're going to check out and see if there's actually any problems in middle earth. And if there's no problems, then boom, she goes back to Numnor everything's all good. They've delivered the elf back to middle earth. And then the Numnorians can go about their way. Isildur's trying to figure out how to get on one of the ships, goes to his buddies, allows them to beat the crap out of him or one of them anyway. And then the guy's like, you know what? Still not going to happen. Sorry about that. And you know, off they, uh, off they go or sorry. I think that happens a little bit later at this point. They're just, uh, I mean, it does show a silder, but he hasn't, well, I haven't even talked about that yet, so it doesn't matter. But then the, uh, the made, the made up character for the show, Halibrand, who is the king of the Southlands question mark, and is also some kind of blacksmith. He has that skill, even though he doesn't have the body of a blacksmith It's very strange. You know, blacksmiths are, are pretty muscled because they work with, you know, they're working with their arms all day long and it's it's pretty heavy work anyway Halibrand wants to stay on Numenor he doesn't want to go back to Middle Earth Galadriel comes in tries to convince him to go they get into a like a, a kind of like a lover spat argument style like I think there's supposed to be heat between both of them but I feel nothing like there's 
both are unattractive in different ways. She's just unattractive as a person in general, and he's unattractive in his smugness and his, you know, I, I know what I'm doing and I'm human and I know more than anybody else kind of way. But yeah, so somehow he get. I mean, here's the other thing with the writing with this show is it's so easy to get things out of people. Like all you got to do is just ask like three times and then finally they cave in and they tell you what's going on with them. It's a very strange situation that nobody seems to have any conviction about who they are or the things that they're holding on to. And this has actually been happening throughout the show. It doesn't matter what character is. Eventually, if they get pressed two or three times, they spill the beans on what's going on. And I understand that's for our benefit. Totally get it. But look like stepping back and looking at what's happening it's not appreciated at all it's it's a silly and goofy way to write and and it's lazy so it jumps from that conversation back over to the hobbits they're blaming the like some of the hobbits are blaming the giant for the barren land that they're walking through the little hobbit girl nori and her friend who's a singer poppy they end up finding another hobbit who I think just found some mushrooms and is pretty happy about it. Then they hear these screams and wolf sounds and they freak out and start running. They make their way over to uh, the giant and get behind him. He has no clue what he is or who he is or what he's capable of, but instinctually he knows to slam his arm down on the ground, which causes some kind of... I don't know, air wave to push out towards the weird wolf, I don't know, creature, warthog, monster things that were specifically created for the show. It 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 pushes them out like tumbling over end, and that's enough for them to give up, which again, like what? Like these things look tougher than that. I highly doubt that a strong wind that rolls them around would stop them from actually attacking, you know, food, which is what they are. So very strange decision. They all kind of look remorseful and then they take off, run away. Meanwhile, the giant in acting the way he did ended up hurting his arm. So now he's just laying on the ground. Meanwhile, the show jumps back over to Numenor again, where a bunch of, Isildur's friends are practicing with swords. And this part is, there's been two super cringy moments. I mean, there's, there's been more than two, but two cringy moments with Galadriel in particular in this show. The first one was, I think, episode three. I think it was episode three where she gets told that they have to travel to another part of Numenor where there's this library and and it's a day's ride away and she says ride and gets all super excited and then they do this slow-mo of her riding and she looks like she's in like basically like she's having the best dessert and she's on the funnest attraction and a little bit high and you know just everything great that can be is is on her face but it doesn't look natural because all we've seen is snarling galadriel and i know I know you're going to say, man, pick a lane. Like you, you can't, you can't just expect her to always be snarling and to always be giving the, the, you know, the witch look all the time. They have to balance it out. That's the problem is that this show has not been balancing her out. So it's jarring to see her happy because all you see 
is this person who believes that she knows better than everybody else, acts like she knows better than everybody else, and is walking around either with this stone dead face or snarling. So you see her in this moment of joy, slow-mo joy, and you're like, ah, like uh, I'm not ready for that. That's just weird. Well, it happens again. This time, she she's beating the crap out of five people that are attacking her, and the whole thing is is all for play, but it's also to show you, again, how much of a badass Galadriel is. If this show is anything... It's, it wants you to know, dear viewer, 100%, without a doubt, this Galadriel is the most badass Galadriel that you've ever seen. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. I hope children are not listening to this. But she is the top of the top, you know, the, the, the cream of the crop. And the way that we're going to show you is by her making these Numenorean people look like children as she fights them. The choreography is awful, by the way. And so the, the whole thing of this moment is she's going to teach them how, how it's done, number one. Two, if anybody can score a hit on her, they instantly uh, become a lieutenant per Isildur's dad who's laying down the groundwork. And then everybody gets to work. And there's a moment where you see from a bird's eye view, you see Galadriel make this weird move. I don't even know how to explain it. It's so strange. Like she kicks her leg out. She shoots her arm up in the, in the sky that's holding the sword and then cuts this netting that comes down conveniently on, you know, the people that she's fighting. And the, again, the look of pure joy and ecstasy in that moment, I, I didn't get it. It was, I'm not really sure why she was be so, she would be so ecstatic. Maybe that she pulled, pulled it off. I don't know. Very strange. Oh, yeah, I almost forgot during all of this, Jack Black, that's what I call the guy who's the second in command of Numenor. He's right under the queen. He's making these secret plans about what it's going to be like when Numenor goes over to Middle Earth. His son, who is in love, I'm guessing, with uh, Isildur's sister, is trying to stop him, trying to stop his dad, or trying to have his dad stop the queen from actually traveling out to middle earth or having anything to do with middle earth and jack black this guy's dad says no way man you're not thinking it through of course we're going to middle earth are you, do you can, can you even begin to imagine the pathways of revenue that is going to open to us we're going to have new lands to conquer new kingdoms new you know trade and all kinds of things are going to we're going to blow up. We're going to be balling out of control, son, if we make our way over to Middle Earth. Numenor is just the beginning. First Numenor, then Middle Earth, balling out of control. So I don't know why he has this point of view, why he has this idea that this could possibly happen. Or, uh, you know, I, they're setting him up to take over Numenor and to to somehow depose the queen. That That you can already see written in the stars. But... How he get he's supposed to get all this done? I mean, there are people that live over in Middle Earth. There happens to be humans and elves and dwarves. I'm not sure that they would be happy with a small, I mean, probably large. Let's let's say Numenor is the size of Australia. Let's say it's that big and all of it is hospitable, unlike Australia. And every inch of Numenor has people on it. So let's say you have a sizable army. 
that's still nothing compared to what exists in Middle Earth with all the various races that exist there. So if the men there, the dwarves and the elves all decide, hey, we're going to get together to fight off this invasion from this island, they're going to be able to get it done. It's it's very absurd. So yeah, now it jumps, then the show jumps back over to giant who is using some kind of ability some kind of magical power to turn this puddle of water into ice to heal the arm that he hurt and his uh teacher nori she comes over and she's like hey man what's going on like why are you in a trance and she sees the ice is forming over his arm she sees it's forming in the water for some odd reason she decides it's a good idea to touch that side of his body and so then she gets stuck to him because the ice quickly starts growing over her hand that is on his arm. Again, doesn't make any sense. The writing is very strange. And in the middle of her trying to get away, something happens to him. He, you know, he has like this shock moment and he flashes and then Nori flies away like she she gets flung out away from him lands and now she's totally afraid of him and so it's supposed to i guess put you in this idea that we don't really know if he's good or not we have no clue i mean he acts kind of gentle and sweet and dumb but who knows so then we jump over to the biggest waste of time in the show in my opinion we go to the elf king and elrond hosting durin the dwarf and they are going back and forth in this wordplay, feeling each other out as well as uh, subtly uh, doing jabs at one another. This is Durin and the Elf King. At, at one point, Durin makes this, this proclamation that the table that they're dining on actually comes from his people and is used in a sec- sacred ritual which somehow puts the the elf off. Here's the other thing that was confusing about this moment. The elf king and the dwarf prince are sniping at each other. And the way that they think that it's a, a, the writing staff thinks it's a good way to end it is by having the dwarf lie about this table just to have something over the elf king. But, I'm going to have to assume that the Elf King is hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years old. I don't really know. Maybe maybe not even hundreds of thousands, but let's say he's he's 7, 8,000, 9,000 years old. Whatever he is, he might have been there when they got that table in the first place. And when they cut it out of wherever they cut it out and brought it over to his place and now use it for hosting people... Uh, that's what I would assume, but somehow the dwarf knows better and he knows exactly what it is. And I, the, the king doesn't know for sure, but he's like, ah, you got me. You got me. I'm sorry. I offended you and you got back at me. You got me in a good way. You, I, not only did I offend you, but I've offended generations of your family. You win this one. So after that nonsensical moment in the show where they have dinner and it leads to really to nowhere, Elrond and the king Gilgalad each accuse each other of lying. Then the king leads Elrond over to a yellow tree where there's all, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful construct like this tree and 
he shows Elrond that the tree is uh, affected or infected by some kind of disease that is, you know, this black goo that is going over the entire the entire tree and, and is killing it. And that's when the king reveals to Elrond that the light of the Eldar, their light, is actually fading away from the world. It seems like at this point it jumps over to um, Liberace elf Celebrom. Celebrom. Brom, hold on, Sela Brimbor, I believe. He later confirms that that the uh, the elf will eventually, all the elves will eventually fade away from Middle Earth, or they'll have to leave because their immortality is passing away. But luckily, Durin, and and just so coincidentally, by the way, like. This is happening now. It didn't happen a thousand years ago. It didn't happen a thousand years from that moment. It happened just now at the time when Durin and his people found Mithril in their mountain. What are the chances that it just so happens to coincide with this issue that the elves are having? And then they show you an explanation of how that happened. So this warrior elf was fighting with a Balrog. And as he's fighting with the Balrog, he decides it's a good idea to invest his life energy onto this tree that is between him and the Balrog. That makes no sense. So he puts his energy into the tree. Somehow the battle with the Balrog seeps energy from the Balrog into the tree as well. And then... Those two energies combined inside of the tree go down through the root of the tree and they end up turning into this near indestructible metal that is somehow yet malleable at the same time. But it took both creatures to produce this thing. It took this creature of pure light and good and this creature of pure evil and together they are able to create this metal. What? That moment made no sense. So then the show jumps over to back to Numenor where Isildur, I I got ahead of myself. This is where he's trying to convince his buddies to help him get on a boat to make his way over to Middle Earth. He wants to be part of the expedition. His buddies at the end of the day say, no, sorry, you can't help you. So Isildur then thinks it's a good idea or this is a good idea. And he goes ahead and becomes a stowaway on one of the ships again. He just so happens to stow away. There's five ships in the harbor. He just so happens to stow away in the one ship that Jack Black's son happens to go on. That and he is going to sabotage the ship. He's going to burn it up so that and he uh, presumably he's either going to do this to one ship or he's going to do it to all of them. I'm not really sure, but he didn't start out on the ship that Isildur wasn't on. He happens to start out on the ship that Isildur is on just in time for Isildur to, uh, well, he finds Isildur. And once he finds him, then they both kind of figure out what each one is doing. One is a stowaway. The other guy is sabotaging the trip. They get into a bit of a tussle. The guy that's got the fire, he's already knocked some caskets open that have, I, I presume is oil on them. I mean, a lot of oil. And then you see the oil's about to catch on fire. Then you see from a far, you know, uh, vantage point 
that ship explodes and it also happens to catch the ship next to it and that ship explodes as well. Isildur's dad is on the docks and he happens to see them and he sees Isildur bringing the guy in. They, him and, and a couple other people help Isildur in from the water, you know, up into the dock. And then both guys cover for one another because they both know that they, neither one should be, you know, should be there. And so I imagine this is a moment that's going to tie them together, but again, really bad writing, really bad way to tie them together. Just how convenient. So we see it jump back over to uh, Galadriel and Halibrand. They have more of a conversation and it doesn't really matter. It's blah, 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 whatever. Then we jump back over to Brazilian Elf and those people and you see the uh, the Southland uh, meat guy who uh, did a, 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 not an insurrection but a mutiny with the people that he, that he took off with. They get over to uh, Cheeseface Elf uh, and they th- they think uh, he- he's Sauron, and he gets all angry and he like throws the guy and then he grabs another dude and he's like, look, if you're, well, they go there, first of all, uh, meat guy goes over to pledge his loyalty to him and that's when he calls him Sauron and that pisses cheese great face elf off and then he proceeds to grab the kid that originally went with the, with Froggy over into the town to get food. And by the way, this guy completely left that kid out to pasture. He's like, I'll see you later. And he ran away with the food and didn't even stick around to help his friend. This guy gets caught by the elf and he's like, Hey, if you're going to pledge to me, it can't be in words. And he says only blood can bind. And then you see the kid who's like, no, no, please. And while the butcher dude's like, well, if this is what we got to do. This is what we got to do. They don't show you the grisly end of that, but you know, the assumption is he's going to get it done. He's a butcher. So the show jumps back over to the tower with Brazilian elf. This part was hilarious. He, the whole time the show has been establishing that froggy hates Brazilian elf for a lot of reasons not one being that Brazilian elf is into his mom and he does not like that somehow. I mean, maybe because Brazilian Brazilian elf saved him, you know, in in the last episode, that was enough to wipe everything else away. And then the kids like, Hey, I got to show you something. And he shows them that crazy sword that you jab into your form that starts producing, you know, more of the sword, like through some kind of magic fire thing. Brazilian Elf is like, I know what this is. It's a key. And then he turns around and immediately in the tower that they're in, he starts to pull some leaves away. And you see this big Sauron helmet face with a weird sword in front of it. Like you'd have to watch the show to see what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a very strange moment in where he reveals this. And somehow this key, I don't know key to what, I don't think it's to the stone wall with the likeness of Sauron is the thing that, uh, the cheese, great face elf Adar is looking for to become a God. Anyway, in all of this Brown, when the, uh, elf honey, she just gives up. She's like, you know what? Never mind. We can't survive any of this. You just tore that off. And that just, you know, you tore off that, those leaves from, uh, that were hiding that, crazy statue in the background 
uh, it's convinced me we're doomed. So we should just all give up and, and walk over to Dar and just all turn ourselves in and, and join his group. Very strange moment. Then we jump back over to Durin, who's going to make his way back to Kazakh Doom with the giant table that he tricked Elf King into giving up. Elrond is still suffering with the knowledge of the information that he has. He knows he's got this mithril and he knows that the elves need it conveniently again, that it so happened to be now that their light is fading and right when this thing was discovered, they can save them. So they're going back and forth, but Durin and Elrond figure it out and Durin is like, hey, the entire race of elves lives is in my hand that's that feels pretty good all right i'll help you let's go talk to my dad and see if we can convince him to give up almost every ounce of this stuff to save you elves for absolutely no reason because by and large the elves and dwarves are not friend it's uh, friends it's actually a super rare thing to have happen so the dwarves are going to gamble it all all on uh you know, riches and, and a type of safety and security that comes from manufacturing weapons and armor from this stuff to help a people that they don't even like. Uh, okay, let's see if you can convince me of this, writers. I highly doubt it. So the final moment, they the story switches back over to Numnor. Now we have Halibrand looking as kingly as they can make him at the moment without actually giving him a crown and hooking him up with more ornaments. He, he looks pretty stately now. He's gone from, you know, I'm, I'm a lowly uh, apprentice, uh, blacksmith apprentice, to I'm on a pretty cool horse and I've got, you know, some sweet armor, uh, you know, kind of Aquaman armor that they've given me. And somebody uh, cleaned me up and did my hair, so I'm looking pretty good too. And then we have the uh, the sudden slow-mo, because it's got to be in slow-mo, because, you know, there's no other way to treat it. We have the sudden slow-mo Galadriel in full armor, like crazy, you know, over-the-top ornate armor, strolling like, man... <laughs> Have I told you guys that I'm the man? I Maybe you might not have recognized it or you forgot, but... Let me let me just clear let me let me clear this up right now and let me clue everybody in. In case you've forgotten, it's me, Galadriel. I'm the man. Check me out. I'm strolling. So comes up and you know strolls onto the boat that's gonna be taking them across. So as she slow-mo makes her way over to uh Halibrand, you know, then they get to this moment of like, we're equals, let's shake arms not hands we're going to shake forearms so they you know they do the forearm clasp and they're like yeah all right and then that ends this episode of lord of the rings the rings of power so what would i give this particular episode i'm gonna go with uh zero sombreros yeah that's what i'm gonna go with uh even the beautiful backgrounds were not enough to pull me out of the hopelessness that is this show. It is terrible storytelling, terrible jumping back and forth. And again, if it was any other show, if it had nothing to do with Tolkien, if this was 
a completely out of whole cloth IP that Amazon created from scratch and decided to put this much money into it, I would tell you that this show is a slow burn and it's really pretty and some of the words don't make a lot of sense yet, but maybe they're going to get there eventually with season two or season three. I Maybe I might say that, but because it's connected to what it's connected to, because it has a rich history uh, and they've decided to populate this world with completely made up characters, new characters that have been made up by the writers and not characters that they're not at least pulling from Tolkien and maybe even pulling out of time and space within his narrative. If they were at least doing that, that would be a little bit of of a difference. I wouldn't be happy about it, but it would make some sense. No, not that like they're, they just keep creating a bunch of characters out of whole cloth. I don't, really know who's in danger and who's not like i said brazilian elf should have died a couple times and he has not died yet it's very very strange and again you can't put any of the main main characters into any kind of danger because we know where their story ends so what's the point you know what's the point like all this buildup that is happening i don't see any point to it it's not getting epic it looks like in fact it looks like they spent a lot of epic on the first episode. Like they wasted all of their epic on the first episode. And now they're just trying to build up to something epic. But it doesn't doesn't feel epic. And I saw this hilarious meme online of uh, which they use Leonardo DiCaprio all the time for this meme where he's pointing. He's, he's like holding a drink and he's pointing. And every time they do that the on the side, it's like, you know, whatever, whatever anybody was sure that that that's what that was. And in this case, they have four pictures, you know, it's cheese, great elf. It's Halibrand. It's the giant and somebody else. And every time it's, you know, it's DiCaprio pointing going sour, that's Sauron, Sauron, Sauron. It's pretty hilarious because they're trying to, yeah, the show is trying to misdirect your thinking into believing that anybody could be Sauron. It is the exact, in fact, I, if I mean, I know better, but it seems like uh, either the the showrunners both they all they, all four of them went to the same writing school, or they must be related because they pulled the same crap on uh, the Wheel of Time, where any four of the main characters could be the Dragon Reborn, which is actually not the way that it is in the books. It's any any of the three males that are the, the main characters that are in the books at least for the first book, could one of them could be the Dragon Reborn, but we don't know who it is, although we do find out pretty quickly uh, who who it ends up being. But in the, in the Amazon version of the show, it could be any of the five people, including two women. Any of them could be the Dragon Reborn, according to the show. They're doing the same thing here. Any four of these people could be Sauron. We just don't know right now at this point. So get ready and have your expectations mixed and, and, you know, mixed all around. So, so that we're constantly keeping you off kilter, but that's not what it's doing. I don't care. I literally don't care who ends up being Sauron. It matters nothing to me because none of the characters that might be considered to be Sauron, none of them have done anything significant. Like if one of them started serial killing people, you know, in, in middle earth. Okay. You got my attention. If all of a sudden, you know, out of the four people that are pointed as, as a potential Sauron, 
two of them start murdering people behind everybody's back. All right, now you've got my attention. One of those might be Sauron. But right now, nothing of significance is happening. Any one of them could be this evil. Is it the dude that fell from the sky? Is it Cheese Great Face? Is it man or woman, don't really know what, in in white uh, that showed up with his its two homies, you know, uh, that are overlooking the crater? Or is it... You know, I'm sexy, uh, non-made-up character, you know, or or, or made-up character, but non-canonical character, Halibrand. Any of these could be Sauron, and they keep giving you little, little tiny tidbits. Like at one point, Halibrand's like, "Oh, Galadriel, if you only knew what I've done, if you knew all the things that I've done, you would not like me." Okay, but. But then the rest of the show spends all this time trying to make you very likable. Like from the way that you talk to the smirk to the, you know, the, the advice that you give, like, obviously the writers are trying to make you likable. And then you have this one moment of declaration. You wouldn't like me if you really knew me. So then why spend all this time trying to make him likable? Why not at least stick to the plan and stick to a consistent direction like you're doing with every uh, or with a lot of the other characters, you know, Brazilian elf continues to be Brazilian elf. He's stoic. He seems to care. He seems to not want to question authority necessarily. He seems to be brave. And yet at the same time, he's seems to be some kind of leader. Like so far, you've been showing me consistency with Brazilian elf. I guess you could say the same thing with Galadriel. She's consistently been not cool you know, and kind of a useless character, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, could I write a better show? I don't know. But this show definitely makes me think that I could. It, it really does. And I, I don't really find that to be the case when I'm thinking about shows that I'm watching good or bad, I don't usually think, oh, I could write this, but this show really makes me feel like I could write this and do a much better job than what is happening. And I, it makes me sad that this much money was spent on something that was, you know, um, one of the joys of my petty life is, uh, getting into arguments online about this show. I've, uh, I don't know. I'm really petty and I've really been enjoying that. I I enjoy going on and looking at the positives of the show and then just sticking in my own negativity. And I know that's awful to say, right? But let's be real. I don't do that very often about anything. And, uh, with this show, it, it just feels so justified that, that the way that people, a very minor minority group, by the way, of people, uh, a very, not minority, but a very minor group of people online are repping really hard for this show in a way that it just does not make any sense and is quite frankly, pretty unbelievable. So I've just been responding to those and being like, dude, this is a terrible show. Like it has no legacy. It's not going to last. There is, it is infinitely forgettable. Oh, I remembered the point that I wanted to make earlier that had come to the surface of my mind. As I'm being petty online, one of the um, one of the things that I talked about that I that I wholeheartedly believe um, is that this show 
is not going to have any longevity for the simple purpose that as soon as this series is done, because it takes so long to create, you know, a series like this, uh, in particular, something like this, where they spent so much money, I, are they going to spend the same amount in the second, uh, second season? I don't know. I mean, is the second season already being filmed? Possibly. But, um, with this kind of storytelling, because it is, it's losing viewership every single week and because it's getting bombed so bad. Like that's one of the things on Rotten Tomatoes, it's, it has a 33% approval from, from fans and 86 from, uh, critics, I believe. And everybody is pointing to the fact that it's getting review bombed, which is, you know, getting super negative reviews and a ton of them in order to drive the show downward. You know, it, it does not matter. It does not matter how much review bomb you give something. And Dave Chappelle has proven that. Matt Walsh with his uh, with his documentary "What Is a Woman," uh, you know, other so many other things have proven con the contrary. You can review bomb something as much as you want, but real life word of mouth really makes a difference and really. Uh, help something to, to live past the online community. And in this case, the online community isn't happy. People that I personally know and have spoken to who have asked me, would I recommend this to them? I've said, no, people that are already watching it are already not happy with it. You know, they're like, this is like a bit of a disaster. And so this person that I was going back and forth in was trying to give me examples of how I'm actually incorrect about what the reality of the, the, the nature of the show is. I said, all right, whatever, man, I, we're not going to keep going. Like I, I'm not actually mean and spiteful, you know, when I'm communicating with these people, I'm trying to come at them with what I, my perception of, of, of reality about the show. But anyway, going back to the thing I said earlier is if this show had second season wait ready and waiting on the heels of the first season, they would at least be able to maintain the momentum of the viewership that they currently have because they would have people like me who don't like the show at least continue to watch the show to get more content out of it to talk about. But as soon as this show ends in real time, it's going to be a few years before the show comes back. Maybe one, maybe two years. Maybe they'll coincide it with San Diego Comic-Con or something like that. But it's not going to have the heat. In fact... I can already tell you right now one show that I'm thinking about that I think is going to struggle. And uh, two shows. One show that did struggle when it came back to find an audience again was The Expanse on Amazon Prime. Great show, but the last season just did not get it done as far as viewership goes because they waited so long to bring the thing back. And, and I know what you're going to say, and I'll, I'll get to it because I, I, I can anticipate what you're thinking about. But then the second show that I'm going to put out as, as an example is, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. The second one that I'm thinking about is the show Carnival Row, which has not had a new outing. What it's 2022. Now I think it was 2019, 2021, 19, 22. So it's been three years since that show has been out. I guarantee you if they put it out next month or they put it out this year and not wait until next year, it's not going to have a giant response. People are going to have to go back and watch the first uh, season 
to get all caught up again, to then reinvest their time into this, this show. And we are getting bombarded with so many shows right now. I mean, just month after month after month after month, there are so many shows and there's so many shows that are waiting in the wing that I have no hope that Carnival Row is going to get a, a positive second outing. So my prediction is if Carnival Row even does have a second outing, it's just going to die on the vine. And I, and I predict it's going to be the same way with this Rings of Power. Like, if you don't have something waiting in the wings immediately to release, if you wait two, three years, everybody is going to wake up within the first year. People are going to, within the first couple of months, people are going to get out of the haze of, of the nostalgia love of Tolkien. And they're going to look at the show and they're going to go, this thing's a piece of crap. Like, I'm not going back. And I mean, that. That, that is my guarantee to you, dear listener, that that's exactly what's going to happen. People are not going to come back two, three years later. So Amazon needs to have itself on point if it expects people to come back for this and to create buzz about it and to continue good word of mouth. I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. I don't think it's going to happen. That is uh, Bookmark this episode right here. I do not believe that you're going to see a high number positive review, even if the show somehow changes its entire, you know, ethos and, and direction, and they decide to dive back into Tolkien and actually embrace the the source material. I suspect it might be too little, too late at this point, and I think it's going to be the same thing with Wheel of Time. I think Wheel of Time and this show got huge numbers based off of the already built in audience. And then there was a lot of just anger and frustration from fans. And I think that's going to be the downfall of wheel of time, which didn't, I don't think it costs as much money nowhere near as much money as this show. And, uh, well, one example, it was something that I don't watch, but the uh, house of dragons, which is based on game of Thrones percentage wise is doing much, much better than, um, than rings of power and it's a far less expensive show to produce than rings of power far far less and uh it, it, and i've even heard other people talk about it that that game of thrones used to feel like you were going to many different places and you, you know i watched the first season and just couldn't couldn't do it i just couldn't couldn't carry on with the show but the way it was described as the original Game of Thrones, you felt like you were going to a bunch of different places and, and you know, really were in, in unique, various environments. And this new show, one of the knocks on it is the House of Dragons. It feels like it's just all taking, it, all taking place in a small location and all in the same place. And yet, even with that, it's still doing far better, you know, uh, viewership and percentage-wise than rings of power that already yeah. rings of power, which does take you to various locations and every location is built, you know, to be overpoweringly big and, and epic and, you know, just like supposed to sweep your eyes off their feet. Even that is not enough to save it from, you know, the predations of HBO and HBO overcoming it with a much smaller show. Very strange. So again, listeners, there you go. That is my review of episode five of Rings of Power. I would 
If you decide to watch this show, I would advise you finding other ways to watch this show than through Amazon. I would hate to give them the numbers, honestly. They don't deserve it. But if you uh, choose to you know, put your time somewhere else, I, I will applaud you for that. Again, there's too many other great things. There, there's a show that just came back that my wife and I are watching on Apple TV called For All Mankind. I could not recommend that enough. Fantastic show. I probably should be reviewing it. It's up to season three right now. The stories are really compelling. I love the world building that they do. I've talked about it in the past. I, you know, I'll, I'll give it a, a, a quick summary in, in another episode. But the characters are flawed and really likable. The direction that it's taking and the way that, you know, the story that it's telling is awesome. It's basically an alternate history of, of uh, you know, a planet Earth and NASA and the space race. And it is awesome. It is such a well-written, well-done show. Uh, just like Ted Lasso, another one that I highly recommend. Uh, to me, um, Apple TV is knocking it out of the park with when it comes to the shows. So, yeah, that's what I would recommend o- over over this thing that I'm currently reviewing. Just ugh, awful. But, uh, guys, thank you again so much. I totally appreciate you. Thank you for going on this ride with me for letting me rant. I hope that some of it is funny. I hope that some of it's entertaining because I can't expect that all of it's entertaining or funny, but I hope that you enjoy it while you're on your way to work or working out or, you know, whatever it is, doing dishes, whatever it is that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming with me on this ride. If you can, please go to Apple, go to Spotify, leave me a, a review I would appreciate that very much. You guys made it possible for me to do that dumb little commercial at the beginning. I hope many more dumb commercials come my way because it would be awesome to to you know be able to really monetize this and 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 make it more of a full time thing. I obviously I don't mind ranting and raving and you know this is uh, this is great. So thank you guys for making that possible. And uh, please, if you can, spread the word, a Hispanic to friends and family. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else. Also, I'm an artist. Uh, that's my that's my day job. Uh, I go uh, by Alex Iniguez Art. Last name's I N I G U E Z. Alex I N I G U E Z Art. If you type that in, you'll see my website. You'll see everything. Like everything that I'm a part of is online. So if you could give me a follow uh, and feedback, that would be fantastic. Please leave any feedback anything that you want to hear me talk about would be fantastic again thank you guys again i love you guys please take your vitamins eat your vegetables and drink your water and i will talk to you soon bye